Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 83. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Caroline Borders. And today we're going to be talking about milk, specifically whole milk versus skim milk, and this kind of war on fat that our country has been going through for some say 25 years, others would say up to five decades. So recently our dining hall has started serving whole milk, which is a change because in the past it's been generally understood that they wouldn't serve whole milk because students would not drink it for fear of gaining weight as a lot of people believe that consuming fat means you will get fat. And seeing whole milk now in our dining hall really made me think about what I know about milk, which is that unbeknownst to a lot of people, whole milk is actually probably the healthier option. And Kip and I are going to discuss some of that and why skim milk or 1% or 2% milk has become the more popular option, even though it really might not be the healthier one. So Kip, I asked you to read some articles about this. I know that it's definitely more of my interest because also I love milk. I've always had milk at every meal. Even now in college, I still drink milk at every meal. It's one of my favorite foods. I guess I want your first reactions. Absolutely. And while you're right that it may be more of your interest than mine, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily more of your concern because I often think about health and food and the intricate balances within nutrition, how we feed ourselves and support our bodies and minds and our energies and attitudes because the food you eat very much affects how you feel about the world. So this was an interesting exercise for me and I was very interested to look into a lot of these things. I come at this with the assumption and bias as I think many people do that fat is bad. And I say that because when I look at a nutrition label, one of the first things I look for is how much fat is contained within that food item and also what percentage of my daily intake of saturated fat this food item might contain. And I really enjoyed the Washington Post article you sent me, which discusses the rhetoric surrounding how we define certain categories of milk in terms of their fat percentages. And the author says at one point, if the milkman is going to call reduced fat milk 2% and low fat milk 1%, he probably should call whole milk by its fat content 3.5% and not its relativistic name. And he goes on to say, for that very reason, many grocers have mandated that skim milk labels include the word non-fat. Otherwise, it might be time to consider switching 2% milk to half milk, 1% milk to a little less than a third milk, and non-fat milk to zero milk. And while that may sound silly to some, these distinctions are very important to the average consumer because we do think in quantitative means, and especially with something as culturally loaded as fat, which we're told to hate and abhor and avoid at all costs because it will affect our appearance, and we don't talk about the benefits of fat on the body, which provides insulation and cushioning to our organs and our skeleton. And at least in America, we're very averse to the idea of fat. And it is a necessary nutrient, although granted in moderation and in balance with others, such as carbohydrates and proteins, etc. And I really appreciate that article's perspective on how simplistic we want our terms to be, that people wouldn't use terms like a little less than half milk and 3.5% milk because they are complex. We like simplicity in talking about things. And also in our diets, I think that's at the root of the food pyramid, which is of course being reevaluated this year as it is every five years. And so it's important that you and I are having this discussion now for that reason. With that article in particular, what were your reactions when reading his thoughts? 
Well, I had a similar reaction to that same quote in that you also have to think about milk as a commodity and how big corporations are selling milk. I mean, starting in the 1960s, there started this huge craze about saturated fat and heart disease and sales of low-fat milk, and by that I mean skim milk or 2% or 1% as we know it, skyrocketed. That's partially because the industry profited off this idea that whole milk was unhealthy and they knew that milk was part of a daily lifestyle for many Americans where we're told from a very early age, oh, it's good for your bones and it makes you healthy and strong, even though, is there any real scientific proof to back that up? I've actually read reports that suggest that past a certain age, we stop absorbing calcium from the milk that we drink. And of course, there are various anecdotes of people becoming lactose intolerant past a certain age because, as it seems reasonable to conclude, human beings are not meant to consume milk past infancy in terms of breastfeeding. And it seems curious that as a culture, I think in the West, or again, perhaps specifically America, we continue to consume milk into such a late age, not necessarily to our detriment, but I definitely think not to the benefit that vendors and those who want us to buy milk might believe because it is a market, of course, and you have to consider those who need to persuade the consumer that their product is worthy of purchase. Exactly. I mean, the U.S. is one of the few countries in the world that does not have a majority lactose intolerant population. That's sort of weird when you think about it. And you have to think about the underlying system that has made it that way and made milk such a fundamental part of American life. And actually, when you look at the scientific function of fat, fat is something that you need to be able to burn fat in the first place. You also need fat to feel full. So if you're drinking skim milk, you're drinking 2% milk, you're drinking 1% milk, you're going to be drinking drinking more of it in order to feel full, whereas with whole milk, you only drink a certain amount. Wouldn't that be kind of profitable for the industry if people need to drink more of their product in order to feel full, but they also are being told that it's the healthier option? Precisely, but I think people succumb to the intuitive logic, and I don't mean the rational or correct logic necessarily, but the intuition that the more you consume, the more full you will feel. And it's curious to think that I could have one glass of one thing and feel fuller than two glasses of another. I don't think most people could rationalize that. And I'll admit that it is a tricky concept to wrap your head around. I also appreciate that we're having this discussion now because recently I've been having a whole avocado for breakfast in addition to a beverage, and that's been keeping me full. And it is curious how our bodies react to the presence of fat in the stomach, and there are many hormonal and chemical reactions that tell the brain that you are full, and that's a longer discussion to be had at a later point. But I do think the milk industry and many other food industries thrive on certain consumer ignorance and on the inherent associations with delicious food and healthy food, etc. Exactly. And I think something that is often missed when we're thinking about nutrition is the idea of a balance rather than just taking away fat. The idea with whole milk is that it's healthy for you because of an equal distribution between sugars, proteins, and fat. When you take away fat, it's not like the sugars go away. You still have sugar in milk. And oftentimes, as these articles say, sugar is added in to make more flavor. So what I've learned, not through experience, but through reading and some anthropology classes on nutrition, is that skim milk without fat in it basically is the equivalent of drinking a soda. Because when you drink whole milk, you intake sugar and fat. And because there's fat and sugar evenly distributed, that also allows 
the sugar to be evenly and gradually distributed throughout your body versus with skim milk because there's no fat to enable that gradual distribution you're basically just getting a shot of sugar to your system and then not only is it not filling you also just have a ton of sugar in your system so it's no wonder that there's been this epidemic of obesity in our country and it feels like the fda has been telling parents for almost three decades now that the best way to manage this or the best way to give your child healthy options is to remove fat from their diet Or maybe in the process of this war on fat, there's been a disconnect and miscommunication between actual scientific facts and what people think fat actually does. And parents have been buying their children skim milk because they think that's the healthiest option and that will regulate their fat intake. However, what they're really doing is just giving their child more sugar, unfortunately. And I'm glad you bring up parents caring for their children because when it comes to nutrition, and I would argue on some level parenting in general, fear is a huge motivator. You don't want to give those that you love the wrong things, the wrong environment, and especially when it comes to food, the wrong elements of nutrition. You want your children to grow up healthy and strong and mentally fit. And our understandings about fat, I think, come from fear and misunderstanding rather than research. And much like our discussion about Flint, some citizens citizens don't always have the resources to research these things and to learn more. And even those such as you and I who have the resources and can look things up and access library data may not take the time to do so. I know that I've barely researched nutritional data and studies on nutrition. And I also think our cultural lexicon of using the word fat to describe the nutrient and also the appearance of a human being who has more girth or weight to them is problematic because human fat can be generated both by consuming fat, but also the sugars that you mentioned, which contain large amounts of energy. And when that energy is not used throughout the day, then it is stored as fat. And so really the war on fat as you describe, involves carbohydrates and unused energy and caloric imbalances. We're consuming more calories than we are expending in our days because our lifestyles have changed and various other factors that, again, warrant a future discussion. But I'm glad that you point out fat as a necessary nutrient because the Observer article that you sent to me in which restaurant owners and chefs talk about the importance of fat is essential in understanding that fat is needed to absorb certain nutrients. And one restaurant owner notes that patrons of his restaurant are offered a shot of cream alongside a shot of carrot juice because your body will not absorb the carrot juice, at least not fully or adequately, without the fat to accompany it. And I think it was a very interesting article to read, and I'm glad that you sent it, as well as the others, which, as always, we will post in the episode notes. Absolutely. And I think that's such a good example of how fat is actually a really important and essential part of eating. And I don't mean to suggest that the industry or big corporations that do make milk a commodity are really just out to get the consumer. I don't mean to suggest that in its entirety, because if the general population has the understanding that fat is bad for you, they're obviously going to stop buying stuff with fat in it. And so the producers are just responding to the supply and demand of that product and are still trying to make a profit at the same time. So they're going to start generating more products that have less fat in them. And that doesn't mean that they're doing that intentionally, but just because the majority of yogurts on the 
the shelf, don't have fat in them, doesn't mean that's the most healthy option. And I think that's something that is coming to light more and more, that non-fat options don't necessarily make you lose weight. Or in fact, I mean, this article is literally titled, Good Fat is Fashionable at These Top NYC Restaurants. The idea that fat is fashionable now, but it's also healthy for you as well, I think is something that our culture is gradually coming to realize. And when we think about items that are low fat, these articles also bring up the idea that when consuming low fat items, we're often apt to eat more of them or drink more of them because they are low fat and therefore don't satiate. And so the ironic twist is that we end up intaking far more calories than we need because those items don't contain the fat to trigger the stomach to tell the brain in a very simplistic way of understanding how hunger and satiation work, that we are full. And I'm always skeptical of the ways in which we process and change food because apples, for example, that are grown naturally are perfectly healthy for you and don't have added artificial chemicals. And that's not to say, as with any discussion of good and bad, that every human additive is necessarily evil or bad for you and designed by corporations to manipulate you in some way. But I do think you can trust thousands of years of evolution that have produced foods suitable for human consumption. And there isn't always contemporary or recent research data to indicate how healthy or unhealthy certain additives or supplements are. And I know that there have been certain anecdotes about sugar additives in diet soda, for example, that are less healthy for us than natural sugar would be. And this belief that we can circumvent nutrients that we think are bad for us has led to a lot of scientific acrobatics in order to satisfy the consumer who, as is true in myself and thousands of others, is not always informed about what they are buying and what they are eating. Exactly. And I found it really interesting reading this one article from The Guardian that said, cut for cup, whole fat milk contains fewer carbohydrates than low fat or skim because more of its volume is made up of fat, which does not contain lactose. It also has slightly less protein. As someone who loves milk and likes being informed about milk and considers myself to be more informed than the average consumer about milk, I didn't even know that. And I feel like more than ever right now, we're crossing a bridge to a war on carbohydrates more than fat these days, more and more. And carbs are the worst and you don't want to consume too many carbs because that will also make you fat. And it's interesting that people have this perception that whole milk will make you fat, but maybe the lower fat options will actually do that. And if that's the goal, if your appearance is the goal, then... Yeah, people are really misinformed in a lot of ways. And that Guardian article also says that between 1975 and 2014, sales of whole fat milk have decreased by nearly 61%, while sales of 2% milk have increased nearly 106%. Also, sales of 1% and skim milk have increased by around 170 and 156% respectively, according to data from the USDA. And I think all of this goes to show that people, not simply just those who are consumers, are very convinced and enraptured by the metaphorical prospect of having their cake and eating it too. We want food that tastes great, but is also healthy. And I would argue that often we're overthinking things. And as someone who overthinks a lot of things, I know what that's like. And it's very tempting to try and rationalize everything, especially the food that we're consuming. But I also think that moderation is a wonderful virtue to live by when it comes to food and various other things. And if you don't eat anything, and if you watch your intake and avoid 
avoid excess, I suspect you'll be a relatively healthy person. As you said earlier, I didn't know till reading these articles that whole milk is actually just 3.5%. I feel like if people knew that and they were like, oh, 3.5 versus 2%, that's almost the same, right? It's kind of silly. And the rhetoric that's used that surrounds it, I mean, makes it seem like there really is a big misunderstanding. It is interesting, though. It does seem that the FDA is resistant to call it 3.5%. And this article from the Washington Post says that whole milk is also allowed to be called simply milk. But why milk sellers have largely wanted to call it whole milk rather than, you know, 3.5% milk like the others who are labeled according to their percentage of fat. It's sort of confusing as to what motivates that labeling. And you have to wonder if they really are just trying to make the other milks more profitable because I'm sure whole milk as an option is is still something that the American consumer would feel deprived of if they didn't have. But at the same time, I think the industry does understand that lower fat options are still the more profitable ones. As we think about closing the episode, do you have any other areas on this that you found really interesting or pertinent? Definitely, as a final quotation from the Observer article again, Raimondo Boggia, CEO of USA Operations for Rome-based Opica Mozzarella Bar, is seeing the same trend that we've described in fat content becoming more fashionable and said, what's changing, especially in America, is eating for pleasure. This is so common in Latin and European culture. You don't eat only to fill the tank. And I think that's important because we should change how we think about food. I believe that if we have had a more holistic approach to what we consume, not just food, but media content, for example, we might have better understandings of their impact in our lives. And I do think our diets reflect who we are. There's the old adage of you are what you eat. And I feel that it's a very pithy statement. But I also think that eating is associated with so many aspects of human life. There has been research done on how we feel more satiated and actually consume fewer calories when eating with friends and other people because eating is a very social activity. And we tend to feel more full because we are with other people. And I think because we don't have to think about what we're eating necessarily. We're not focused on the meal in a very narrow-minded way. And if you're eating alone, you might be compelled to go back for seconds and thirds because you don't have that human companionship. And so I hope listeners think about the complex relationship that we have with food, which is not simply mealtimes, snacking, how we consume, what we consume, but with whom we consume, where we consume these foods. And of course, as these articles and I hope our discussion has illustrated, from where these foods come and who is providing these foods for us, what groups, what organizations, all of these things are valuable to think about. But what are some things you'd like the audience to consider after listening to this conversation? I think in that same vein, it is really interesting to consider how scientifically focused food has become and how, yes, we've been talking about the importance of a balance between nutrients. However, food is food and food is a part of our culture. And in some ways, we forget that food isn't just about putting stuff in our body so that we feel healthier or we look a certain way. And I hear all the time people saying, oh, I'll get pasta today, but I won't get it tomorrow. Or I'll have some fries, but that means I can't eat this later or something like that. And it's like, if we all just ate what we wanted and enjoyed everything that comes with food, eating with friends, eating with family, talking while you eat, enjoying the social experience of food. And the sensory one as well of taste, smells, appearance. Exactly. Then I think, as you said, at the end of the day, would consuming either 100 calories more or less, would that really matter? 
I completely agree. And from a scientific level, I would always encourage listeners to look these things up and approach and read these studies to glean what you can from scientific research and also see how certain studies might disagree with one another and how scientific perception has changed over time. Because of course, our knowledge as a species is constantly changing and I think will continue to shift as we learn more about ourselves and our bodies. And also, as I often ask, for international listeners who are not in the U.S., what is your relationship like with fatty foods and especially products like milk if they aren't sold as widely in your countries or nations as in the U.S.? We'd always be very curious to hear and learn from what you have to say. And of course, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you do have thoughts, comments, opinions, or feedback of any kind, we really want you to join this conversation. And you can find us on Twitter or on Facebook, where you can like our page and receive up updates when we post a new episode. And you can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you did enjoy this episode, consider subscribing to and reviewing the show, as well as sharing it with those you think might also enjoy or benefit from the conversation. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Caroline Borders. We'll see you next time.